comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Facebook, no Twitter, no smartphones, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. to the Rictatorship. Hey, everybody. It's Jordan from Jersey here. I got Brad, Jim, and John, and Rush will be joining us a little bit later, and we're here for episode 57 of Walking Dead TV to discuss Beside the Dying Fire. How you guys all doing tonight? Wonderful. Amazing. Welcome what to the new episode. Rick order. Yeah. What, what an episode. We had a couple minor characters killed off. We had a very big new character uh, brought into the show. We had the end of the farm, the end of the barn, what looks like the end of the RV, and the beginning of the Rictatorship. So it was quite the episode. It really was. And uh, once again, you know, we have a lot to go over for this episode itself. Uh, we've been kind of stockpiling the emails and voicemails and things like that. And we're going to take care of all that stuff in our Season 2 wrap-up show, which will be uh, next. We'll have plenty of time to talk about all that stuff for, oh, what, nine months or so, roughly? No, no, um, no, it, it's going to be a much shorter off season this time than it was last year. It'll be, um, six or seven, like six yeah, and a half. If it's Halloween, if it's Halloween, you're looking about six or seven months. Not bad. We can, we can handle it. We yeah, have- and season three will be 16 episodes long. So presumably the hiatus between this season is, is less than the one between the last two seasons. Presumably the hiatus next year will be even shorter. And there's someone we're uh, pining away for Walking Dead material, John. Say they wanted to get a graphic novel or a compendium of some sort of Walking Dead in the off season. Where would be the discounted place to do that? I would think the best place, Jim, would be DCBService.com. Uh, DCBS is our wonderful sponsor. They have ginormous discounts on all things comic book. Uh, you can get your monthly issues, your trade paperbacks, your hardcovers, your comic TV movie related t-shirts and all sorts of paraphernalia, shot glasses and cigarette lighters, anything you can think of. Uh, DCBService.com, some of the specials this month. Uh, the whole second wave of DC number one books is 50% off if you buy them in a bundle. So if you grab all six of those new number one issues, you get them at half off. Um, new trade paperbacks and hardcovers from Image Comics are 40 to 50% off. And guess what? The Walking Dead is from Image Comics, so that means the latest trade paperback, Volume 15, would be 45 to 50% off. You can also catch up on any of the other Walking Dead trade volumes. They resolicit them every month, so if you want to start from scratch with Volume 1, that one is $5.99, which is an unbelievable bargain. It can get you started on some good zombie reading for the off-season 
Um, we understand that next month, by the beginning of April, you will be able to buy the Compendium Volume 2. Now, this 50% off offer will probably be gone by the time that the Compendium Volume 2 is out. But you can always add the code WD8 to get an extra 8% off whatever they are offering for the month. And that's going to be at least 40% off. So you're looking at 48% off if uh, you're a new customer at DCB Service or you haven't ordered anything in a year. You can add that code in and get some great discounts. So please check out DCBService.com. We always thank them for their sponsorship. Jordan, we have some news, I think, that we need to get to before we actually get into the latest episode, don't we? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of news. First off, uh, just came out today, was a new trailer for the Walking Dead video game, as well as an interview with, uh, I forget his exact title, but he's the guy who's kind of coordinating the story between the five chapters because it's going to be an episodic release, and he's also the writer of the fifth chapter. Um, and you can find the links to both of those at the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook page or also on, on YouTube. But we prefer you go through our page, of course, and, and post about it. And uh, it was a very cool trailer in the style of the comic book. And the interview was pretty informative as well. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But also, uh, beside just that, there was also the ratings news for this episode. And you guys, of course, if you've been listening to the show or just paying attention to The Walking Dead in general, you know that The Walking Dead has been setting cable ratings records since the beginning. Um, in fact, uh, the season two premiere uh, set a rating. I believe when season two came back after the hiatus, it set another uh, another big uh, record in, in the ratings, but they have topped it yet again for the season two finale. The most watched cable program in history was uh, last night's pr- uh, season finale with, uh, let me just get my numbers right here exactly, nine million viewers. Uh, so that was absolutely spectacular. Like I said, biggest episode of Walking Dead, biggest episode of anything ever on AMC, biggest episode of anything ever on uh, at least basic cable. So congrats to those guys because that is awesome. Was it? Am I correct? I think I read that it's up 50% from the season one finale. That sounds about right. And even that was setting records back then. So um, so yeah, and it's it's the number one drama. In basic baseball history with men 18 to 34 is the headline I got here. And that, that's, that's the, the category, the, the demographic they're always looking for because those are the people who are spending the most money. And so that's the ones that the advertisers want to see the show hitting. So this is absolutely fantastic news. And I have to say, this was a great jump on show. Like, even though it was a finale and you might have had some questions about some of the conversation that went on, you could jump into this one and just see tons of zombie killing and blood gore and all sorts of tension and everything this would be a great one to jump on and i'm sure a lot of people did and i'm sure a lot of people will be hunting out those dvd sets and you know everything else from here on out my mother's sister my aunt phyllis uh jumped into the walking dead with the episode i guess it was episode seven where they uh they finally found sophia and that was her very first episode of The Walking Dead to watch. And uh, she was just hooked from that point. So there's been a couple of those episodes where you could just watch it and and say, holy crap, I need to keep watching. For, for anybody who understands how ratings work, this episode got a 5.8 rating. And essentially what that means is of all the people, and this is, of course, estimated using Nielsen boxes and all that kind of stuff. But it's estimated that out of every hundred people in the u.s with a television turned on at the hour the walking dead was on 
approximately six people were watching. So 6% of the entire population in the U.S. that was, had a television on was watching the show. I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking about the ratings, Jordan, but if I could take a step back for just a second. The Telltale Games uh, episodic uh, Walking Dead video game that's coming out, I, I do recommend, as you did, to go check out the trailer because it has a very striking visual style. It's almost like it's not quite cell shaded, but definitely like comic shaded. It definitely has a, a graphic novel feel to the graphics. And I really think they're going to, uh, come out with something very interesting and very true to the walking, you know, spirit of the walking dead, uh, it, story. It reminded me of, do you guys remember that fan made opening credits that came out before season one debuted? That was in the style of the comics. Do you guys remember that? No, I don't think I do. I, I don't do. either. It was an, it was an animated, it was like 90 seconds long using, I believe panels from the comic, but like animated and with cool music. This felt amazing like that only in color. It was really cool. So if you guys haven't checked that out, go to the Walking Dead TV Facebook page. Uh, just search for it on Walking Dead TV on, on Facebook and, uh, check out those links because it's really cool looking. And the interview was fun too. Hey, I got something. What about, uh, this past weekend at WonderCon, Michael Rooker? was there and he confirmed that Merle will be back for season three. Yeah. He said he's lost 20 pounds for the role. So to me, that does not sound like he's just going to be showing up in a dream or a flashback. This sounds like he's coming back in a major way. Wow. I would like to make go on record as making a prediction. If I may, that Merle will return as the governor's right hand man. <laughs> Well, certainly not his left pun, hand. In, pun intended. And, and last night on the Talking Dead season finale, uh, someone uh, called in and asked or, or wrote in and asked uh, Robert Kirkman, will Dwayne Morgan or Merle Dwayne and Morgan, of course, the father and son from the pilot, will any of them be showing up in season three? And he can say he said that he said 100 percent, 33 percent of them will be back for sure. So <laughs> that sounds like Merle, to me, especially with this news. Agreed. So are we ready to get on to the recap? Yeah, let's get on with the recap. All right. Uh, episode 213, the season two finale, starts before the last episode ends, uh, well before, actually. We start in Atlanta, and uh, at first you can't really even tell if it's before or after the apocalypse. but then uh, you pan down and you see quite a few zombies eating what could have been Rick's horse or could have just been something else. I wasn't entirely sure. It looked like a but, dog to me. Um, can I ask you guys a question? The very first shot in that was a helicopter going overhead. Yes, sir. That was kind of the, the zombies following that along. Was that the same helicopter we saw, we saw in season one? Uh, I believe Kirkman said you can, you, it certainly would make sense to believe they were at least the same one or a similar one. Um, and I don't think it matters if they're the same exact one, but it would make sense. Yeah. I mean, I think they focused on that helicopter for that reason. And, uh, uh yeah, like, like Jim said, we see the zombies, then we hear this helicopter, which goes by. Uh, which means that presumably Rick was at least not hallucinating. There was a helicopter in the area and the zombies see that. And they, at first they're not doing anything, but as soon as they see it and hear it, they start traveling in that direction. And uh, as has been true in zombie lore for a long time, once you get zombies going in a certain direction, if they don't have anything to distract them, they will just keep going in that way. And, and in these herds of zombies as has been explained to us in, in the comics and in the show a little bit, once it's kind of like a flock mentality. Once you get a certain number any zombie in the area that sees them or that kind of gets in their way will just get right in lockstep and keep going until you have this giant. I mean, by the end of this, how many zombies would you say were in this? I mean, hundreds, it looked like by the end of it, just all coming from the same direction. Um, and they, they, they go through the woods, they go through fields. And, uh, by the time, I think it was a like two minute or so scene, by the time 
they, uh, we see them at night. They hear a gunshot right off to the side. They come out of the woods and there is Rick, Shane, or dead Shane and, uh, and Carl. So this takes us right up to where last episode ended. There's yeah. a really cool shot of, uh, in that montage of all the walkers making their way towards the farm. It's the one where in the distance, okay, let me, let me start. Uh, in the foreground, there's a group of zombies that are walking towards a fence and then, you know, the zombies pile up against the fence till the fence breaks. But at the beginning of that shot, as the camera's up, panned up, you can see on either side of the shot uh, of the screen, two separate groups of zombies coming from the left, one from the left side, one from the right side. So it's like two smaller herds meeting and joining and creating the bigger herd. And I thought that was neat that it's not just the one group of, of zombies that we'd been following from downtown. There was another group of zombies that apparently came from somewhere else that have done what Jordan said. They kind of meet, you know, and uh, start hanging out together to make even a bigger group. I thought that was a really neat shot. I, yeah. I love the scene where they all got uh, herded up against that fence and the fence collapsed. Like, I thought that was cool. So I do want to say that because I don't want this to sound like a complaint. Um, and it's more of a question anyway. It Was their actions... Um, did it match up with like some of the earlier shows? Like, I think it was Guts where they, you know, they run up against like a chain link fence when they're chasing Glenn and, and Rick. And I seem to remember them like trying to climb up the fence or like shaking it. Like they seemed more proactive to get past an obstacle. And then in this one, they were just kind of like running up against the fence because they couldn't, you know, manipulate anything. Well, I mean, I'd say the context in, in the context of guts, they were actively pursuing a target that was right there. Whereas in this one, they were just kind of wandering in a certain direction. They weren't they weren't seeing a target right there in front of them. Oh, OK. Trying to get to. Yeah, but, I can I mean, live with that. My, my guess. But it did. But they were definitely moving differently. Right. Like I seem to I think it was guts where, like you said, they were pretty actively pursuing. They might have climbed a fence, or what did they do? Climb a, uh, a fire escape, maybe? I think two of them got over before it just kind of fell down. Right. Because the others were just kind of pushing like these ones were. Gotcha. I think Jordan's right, though. I think it's, you know, you can walk until you see that candy, that $100 bill laying on the ground, then you're running towards that $100 bill. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I can live with that. And I think this was an important scene for, for all the people complaining after last week. They've been firing guns for, for, for how long? And this is the first time all these zombies come through. Well, as we saw in the episode, the zombies weren't there until this particular moment. It just happened to be really rotten luck for Rick and Carl and everybody, quite frankly, that uh, they happened to be there at this particular moment when the gunshot went off. There's also a couple of zombies that while you're watching from the beginning, you can see a couple of the same zombies in like these different shots. Like there's one doctor dressed in scrubs and a white coat. He's in a couple of the different shots, which is pretty cool to be able to follow him. It's like he's been going the whole time. Yeah. And, and it gives a good sense of continuity for that. This is definitely the same group and they're not just showing you shots of random zombies marching across the land, but no buster in that group. At least none that I noticed. You know what? I, I really, really, really was looking hard for Buster and he should have been a featured zombie if he was even there. So, you know, I, I think, I think they dropped the ball on that. That really could have really sold the idea that these, these zombies actually were in downtown and they made it all the way out here. I think that would have been, I think that was a missed opportunity, but it was still very well done. The whole, um, montage they did. Definitely. So when that scene is over, we, of course, catch up right with uh, Carl and Rick, and Carl wants to know 
what happened bad, what happened with Shane, how'd he die? And at that particular moment is when they first hear the groans coming up behind them and Rick freaks out and they start running for the farm in general, but they can't even get to the farm. So they actually head to the barn first because there's so many zombies coming in at that point from almost every direction. Like this group has just pretty much surrounded the farm. One of the questions we had had amongst ourselves last episode was something about, did Carl see them? Did Carl hear something? And we had said, you know, a lot of these questions we're asking were probably going to be answered in the first couple of minutes. Well, here's one example. You know, Carl says, I heard a shot. I heard a gunshot. So, you know, that's why he headed off in that direction is because he heard the gunshot. And I got the impression that the reason he had been because a couple of people pointed out he was pointing that gun at Rick before Shane got up. Um, he seemed to intimate in his conversation with Rick that he thought Rick had been bitten at that point. Right. Right. I, which he I goes, thought was interesting. Yeah. And so he was just trying to protect himself. You know, I, I don't remember what I said about the situation last week. I don't think I really voiced an opinion. And if I did, I've already forgotten it, but I, I never got the feeling that he was, that he raised his gun because he saw Shane moving. I think he just wasn't sure about his dad and he was trying to protect himself. And joining our festivities now is our fifth member. Thank goodness. Russell Latham. Russ. Howdy, guys. Hey, Russ. Invite you in. Is that a shiny new mic you have, Russell? Unfortunately, not. no. I did not get home in time to hook all that up. Oh, oh well. You sound good anyway. One Excellent. other issue that we had last, uh, last time that was kind of addressed by this is how far they were in relation to the house uh, when all that went down. And it seems like they were a lot closer to the barn than they were to the house than the, we might have thought of. I know we talked about that last right. episode because they re- immediately go to the barn for, for shelter to get away from the herd. At this point in the episode, we then jump back a little bit even further, I think, uh, back in time. Not quite as back as far as when we first see the zombies. But uh, Daryl and Glenn get back to the farmhouse. And Daryl lays out for everybody that Shane wasn't on the up and up. Something was going on here. We found Randall. He wasn't bitten, but he was a zombie. His neck had been snapped and it looked like Shane's tracks were right on top of his. So something's going on out there. And either they hear the gunshot first and then Lori comes down and says that she realizes Carl, Carl is not in bed where she thought he was or vice versa. But both things happen very quickly. Uh, they see that there's a whole big group of zombies outside and then everything gets very chaotic from that point forward for like the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes of the episode. There's Laurie being parent of the year again. Where's your son? Yeah. I told him to stay in his room. I can't imagine where he would be now. It's not like please he's nine the, or something. Please see the cartoon that I posted on Facebook, on our Facebook group this week about Carl. This also answers another question we had was where exactly was Carl? Was he upstairs in the house? Was he in the barn looking out? And we learned that he was actually upstairs looking out of a bedroom window or something. So like I said before, everything kind of goes chaotic at that point. So we're going to touch on specific moments, but not any, not really follow the plot for this, this chunk of the episode. Uh, Rick and Carl go into the barn. They uh, bar off the door so the zombies can't get in. And then they lay down a track of gasoline. Carl goes up into the rafters. Rick lets the zombies in and then climbs up the ladder real quick while Carl drops a lighter onto the gasoline, setting the zombies and the barn on fire. Um, I uh, Just real quick, I thought we were going to get like the typical John Woo slow motion um, lighter falling on the ground. And then slowly we see like the gasoline ignite. So um, I was actually kind of thankful that they didn't go with the, the cliched route. I love the yeah. shot of Rick opening the barn doors and he's yelling, come on, come on. Yeah, and the, yeah. the camera's right behind him, and it trucks back as he's walking backwards, and this horde of zombies just run, walks in. I thought that was beautiful. 
at some point right here, this is when they see the barn, the, the other group sees the barn is on fire. So Jimmy takes the RV and he brings it, uh, to right next to the barn and everyone else is kind of getting in cars and on motorcycles, driving around and shooting the zombies like, uh, some crazy futuristic, uh, showdown at the OK Corral. They're just shooting everything in sight and hitting everything in the head. It was quite amazing. That, that kind of um, came off as like, um, feudal. Or a waste of time, like just driving. Ammunition is what I was thinking. I mean, why are they wasting all this ammunition trying to thin this herd when they're going to, you know, abandon the farm anyway? Well, the only one I thought the only one I thought it was justified uh, was was uh, Herschel because he's like, I'm going to stay and defend my farm to the end. You know, that was his first reaction. He's like, Well, I'm going to. This is my farm. I'm not leaving. You know? I don't no, think they realized how many zombies there were. Right, the right. The whole the whole herd. You can. I'm looking at the scene right now, and and it's real quick cuts and stuff. The whole herd has not arrived. I mean, they're still pouring out into the main open field from behind the barn. It's like Herschel even says they, they keep coming. It's not stopping. They keep coming. They had no idea how many was there. And so they're not going to sit there and wait and go, let's hold on to our ammunition until we get a better idea of how many zombies are out here. You know, you're going to start popping zombies as soon as you know that they're there. And I think too, that maybe they were just trying to disrupt the herd. You know, they were all in one group, all, you know, central, and if they come in and they all come from different angles and they start shooting and they get some of them to follow one, you know, set and some to follow the other and some to follow the other, it'll break them up enough that they could find those that are missing, gather them up and get the hell out of there. And didn't somebody say at one point that their, their plan was to shoot as many as they could, but then hopefully get them to follow the cars off the property? Yeah. Like they were hoping to lead what looked like at first maybe 50 to 100 zombies off the property. Then it turned out there was like three, four, five hundred of them by the end. So Jimmy takes the RV over to the barn. I, I guess they figure that Rick set the set the fire. So they they send Jimmy over there with the RV. He gets waved down by Rick and Carl, who are standing in the top of the burning barn. Not the best place to be, but it, in this particular situation, also not the worst. And uh, so he pulls up right alongside the barn, and they jump on the roof. And and then it was a little unclear what Jimmy was thinking because either he went to secure the side door, or he saw the side door getting busted in but he jumps out of the driver's seat and at that moment the zombies bust in through the side door and they rip him apart so bye bye jimmy uh rick and carl climb down the back of the rv and they uh they pretty much just use it like a ladder and then they run to run to a little bit more safety and i thought it was interesting in the talking dead they pointed out that because it was 27 degrees that night they had to digitally remove the steam around all the zombies mouths because zombies don't breathe so they had to remove that but uh, and these they use this particular scene as that reference. Yeah, and according to The Talking Dead, that Winnebago is the same make and model that was used in Spaceballs. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. Yeah, this last night was the first time I'd ever watched The Walking Dead. Uh, um, yeah, The Talking Dead, I mean. And uh, it was interesting. You know what, though? I'm not sure that's accurate about the zombies uh, not breathing. Because sound from a human being is made by air blowing across the vocal cords. Okay, that's breathing. Well, they grunt, but they don't have to breathe to stay alive. So it's not going to be a consistent smoke or steam cloud, steam cloud, steam cloud. You know what I mean? It's, it, it could happen every once in a while, but it's not going to be a consistent thing. Okay. They might have some breath, but they wouldn't have steam I, coming off of their bodies. I guarantee you if they had, if they had the, the, the smoke from the breath coming off like that, um, and, and heat off the body, dude, like geeks would go bananas. You're like, probably if, right. It would be on every site, and it'd be, you know, the Twitterverse would explode over something like that. You're probably right. 
I like did like the when uh, when uh, the, the zombies got the best of Jimmy though. It was basically they weren't you know they were Carl and Rick were like Jimmy and they look and they're just like a spatter of blood on the windshield. Yeah, that was really effective. And they were like, okay. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, guess Jimmy's done. All right, I want right, to point out. Right. I want to point out how uh, how badass Herschel is. I was just this, about to get to that. Yeah, yeah. How awesome was that? Now, my dad's a hunter. My brother's a hunter. So by osmosis, I know a little bit about guns, shotguns. The gun Herschel was using, the shotgun, I counted how many shells. Because it looked like he never reloaded. Like that thing had infinite. Until right I, at the end I when he almost got I mentioned that to my hit. wife when we watched it. Yeah, right. it was like it's one of the oodling guns. Oodles and oodles of bullets. Yeah, so I watched that scene a couple times. And I counted. There was a couple of different times where you could hear him shoot about 10 shells and then it would stop. You hear somebody else's gun. There was even a, a time when, when, uh, in the background, some, like somebody was on the, on the porch of the house or something. And in the background, you could see Herschel reaching into his pocket, which were obviously deep because it, they carried so many damn shells, but uh, he would reach into his pocket. You could see him, on, uh, reloading. Okay. But, the gun he had, and I confirmed this with my dad, and he, he pretty much said, yeah, that really wasn't accurate. That particular shotgun didn't have an extended magazine, for lack of a better word, underneath the barrel. There's no way that that particular gun would hold 10 shells. He said seven at most, maybe six. So it took a, probably took a little bit of dramatic license with that. And, but And of course he ran out of, and he had to reload at the most dramatically tension-filled moment. Right. Um, but, you know, the, it, Apparently the, the people in charge, maybe the editor, I don't know. They went to great pains to not actually show him shooting more than 10 shells at a time. And, uh, you know, you can watch movies and TV shows and you'll be like, especially my dad. I hear him do it a lot. He goes, that guy just shot more bullets than he supposed, than he really has in his gun, you know, stuff like that. So, um, it wasn't exactly, I'm sorry, it wasn't exactly. Accurate. I like your first. I think it's exactly is exactly right. It You're, wasn't exactly accurate, but exactly. I'm just I'm watching now the scene the scene with Herschel. He stops. He pauses. He reaches in, and that one zombie is walking up right behind him. The one that Rick takes out, and uh, you, Herschel turns around to look, and he's got that that zombie blood on the back of his head from the the brains that Rick just blew out of the zombie behind him. So we do show we, it does show Herschel reloading a couple of times, but. Uh, you know, suspending your disbelief on could that gun actually shoot that many times? Herschel was just a complete badass in this. And then as he's making his way back to the truck, he clocks a zombie with the butt of his gun because he doesn't have time to reload. Yep. He's just, you know, I heard people say this and I never thought I would be one of them, but Herschel really is one of the coolest characters on this show, especially ever since he saw the light, quote unquote, about really what was going on. Right. He's really, he's really owned up to, to uh the situation and um i'm sorry i was just distracted by the shot of the barn burning that was just amazing they actually torched that barn there was no cg yeah. in that and um also in the talking dead glenn mazara said somebody one of the photographers or a producer somebody noticed that the barn was about to fall they reset the zombie act uh extras really quickly and shot that scene again as as of the zombies walking away as the barn roof collapses. He said that was a one in a million chance they got that shot, but they did. And that was just incredibly well done. Yeah. I always, I always look, you could definitely tell that was, um, for the most part, real, they really burned it. And the key is always smoke. 
whenever you see something that's quote burning a building whatever and there's all kinds of fire and there's no smoke they're not really lighting that on fire <laughs> anytime anything burns the smoke is just you'll see more smoke than fire you mean where there's smoke there's fire where there's fire there's smoke and that shot of Herschel <laughs> the shot of Herschel in the truck as they're driving away where he's turning around looking out through the back and you can just see the anguish on his face that he has to leave the farm i just What's this, what's the guy's name that plays Herschel? Uh, something. Oh, Scott. Scott. Scott something. Green? No. No, Herschel yeah. Green is Scott, uh, Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson, yeah. yeah. He just was so good in this episode. Really, uh, really awesome. Well, Brad, you'll know this because you already said you watched The Talking Dead, but they mentioned that. Remember how we said a few episodes ago that when Dale found the, the dead cow, it was actually supposed to be a cast member? They right. said last night that it was actually supposed to be Jimmy, um, but they decided they didn't want to take away from Dale's death in any way by having another death right there so they moved that to the finale and then also scott wilson uh herschel was supposed to be clocked over the head and killed by um by randall and then shane was going to do everything he did but they decided that last minute they kind of wanted to keep herschel alive because he really liked working with the actor and also probably they didn't say this but it's my guess because they didn't have dale around they wanted to keep an older character but they said it was worth it just for that shot of him like you said brad looking at the you know burning farm the burning barn and just the zombies overrunning the farm which was such a powerful shot yeah it was fantastic i think i mentioned in the facebook group recently that all of a sudden like last week it clicked to me that herschel reminded me of harvey Keitel's part in dusk till dawn um sort of like the father of the group and he's a bit of a bible thumper and a, like a uh a reformed man and now he's got an asian son-in-law yeah, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so anyway, I guess my point was this episode even brought that home more now that he's, like, firing a shotgun at zombies and stuff. I love that cool jacket he wears towards the end, too. I don't think he wore it while he was firing the gun, but when they get back to the highway, that was a cool jacket for the character. Yeah, it was like it was in that red pickup, like it just happened to be there. Yeah, it was a spare suit. And, and this scene of the barn coming down and everything, uh, this is when we got, like, the sad music and stuff and went to commercial. Or am I thinking of another part? No, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Sorry. That that would have been awesome if that was the music they played. <laughs> and then you can see Bill Bixby with his coat over his shoulder walking right. down the side of the road. I, I thought it was cool. It was it, it, for, for me, it seemed like an inside-out strategy to, uh, based on uh, Night of the Living Dead, where there are a bunch of people trapped in a farmhouse uh, with a giant herd of zombies outside. Instead of, you know, I, I thought, sure, after seeing the previous so last week, they were going to, you know, barricade the house, board themselves in. You know what I mean? And, but, you know, I, I was really surprised when they immediately jumped into the cars and, and were ready to abandon ship everyone but Herschel. You know? I was waiting for one of the pickup trucks to get doused in gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we missed the, the little scene about when Andrea saves Carol's bacon. She, uh, you know, Carol's trapped between two zombies and a barn. All she's got is a wooden plank and, uh, Carol, uh, Andrea comes up, pops the two zombies, and then Carol in turn saves Andrea because uh, she screams and Andrea turns around and pops a zombie. And then we see the shot from inside the pickup over T-Dog's shoulder of the zombie falling on top of Andrea. So all those people saw Andrea go down. They even said that later. We saw her go down, but, you know, they have no idea if Andrea's alive or not. Yeah, this was, it was so hectic. I mean, I think they did a really good job in the editing room of keeping things just hectic, hectic and convoluted enough so you understood while when, I mean, we'll get to it later, but when all the characters later on, 
Nobody knows where anybody is. They don't know who's alive. Everybody has just a scrap of information. Not all their information is correct. And it just, it so conveyed that hysteria of what was going on. I thought it was great. Yeah. The editing was fantastic in this episode. Some of the best that we've seen. So yeah, um, Rick and Carl, they meet up with Herschel and they take one truck. And like you already said, Brad, there's that shot of him looking over his shoulder. That was great. They head off to the highway. Uh, then we had the two vehicles, the two trucks we had, uh, or the truck and the, the, the Hyundai. We had, uh, see, it was Andrea and T-Dog driving around in the truck shooting zombies. Andrea gets out to save Carol and Patricia gets grabbed by a zombie. And so then we have Lori, T-Dog and Beth in the pickup truck and they get away. Uh, like we said, Andrea gets knocked over by the zombie. So they think she's dead. So she gets left behind. And, uh, yeah, it looks like she got uh, like a particularly big zombie fall on her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause she's like, I mean, obviously we find out later that she's not, you know, been killed or what have you, but from what it's cool, like you were saying, the shot that you get is the tracking shot, like what they see from the pickup. You know, they see Andrea falling under a big old zombie. So, right. you know, you see what they see. So you're drawing the same, you know, you see why they draw the conclusion they do. Daryl picks up Carol on his motorcycle and they head off in another direction. I and love then, that he goes, he goes, come on, I don't have all day. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, the motorcycle would be so great in so many situations for getting through traffic jams and all that kind of stuff when you have all those cars like on the highway. But man, I would not want to have to deal with turning in a small radius with a motorcycle when there's zombies right behind you because those zombies just about got them. I mean, I know it's all a show and everything, but I would not want to be in that situation of having to walk around in a circle while they're creeping up on you. Um, meanwhile, Glenn and Maggie are in the Hyundai and they, uh, they, Almost kind of decide to lead the group. Glenn has to convince, I forget who has to convince who, but finally they, they finally jet off in the other direction, the complete opposite direction of everybody else. And, uh, they stop on a bridge and Glenn switches seats with Maggie. He was in the passenger seat and he finally tells her he loves her. They have a nice little moment there. And then, uh, next time we see them, they're actually heading back in the opposite direction. So at this point, everybody except, well, Patricia and Jimmy die. Andrea gets left behind, and everybody else is in there going in their disparate uh, directions. Uh, Herschel how, and— How quick was something that really kind of bothered me a little bit? T-Dog. He's just like, we're going east. We're going you east. Know, we're going east. You know, and I'm just like, really? You really think Lori and this other girl are going to let you abandon, you know, take them away from their father and their husband? You really think that's going to happen, T-Dog? You know, there's, there's something about T-Dog's character, and maybe I'm influenced by something I read on Twitter, but after— th- meditating on it and thinking about it for a while. I really think there's something to this comment. There's something about T-Dog that we don't know. There's, it's like he's pretending to be something he's really not, you know? And I, I think next season we're going to really learn something about him. Like maybe he is, maybe he's part of another group of people. Maybe he's part of the, the governor's people or something, you know, because he was, he was really, strange in this episode the whole thing about going east and and then uh the whole bit about um well shoot i can't remember exactly what he said but you know it was the whole thing at the end where he's he's standing guard up top on on that stone fence or whatever and he he's got some weird looks like he's looking at rick strangely and there's just something going on with t-dog and i think it was glenn nazara on twitter had said something about t-dog's the the apparent lack of of uh t-dog's involvement in the in the last few episodes has really been planned there's something to it and i really think that next season t-dog is going to turn out to be something that that we don't expect or something that he's 
trying not to let on. There, there's something going on with him, and I, and I think we're in for a big surprise with him. Well, to jump back to earlier in the season, I mean, it's certainly consistent uh, in his characterization that he would want to leave. Keep in mind when he was talking to Dale, and he said, we should just grab the RV and go, like, leave these people behind. Yep. He, he seems perfect, perfectly okay with, with splitting and running, I, but could that give more meaning to his use of the phrase, Governor called your home free, than we originally thought? That we I, just thought I, it was a little joke? Yeah, no, I think so. I think there's really something to that. You know, there's, there are no throwaway lines like we've discussed. What is that Chekhov's gun thing? I, you know, I think that's, this has something to do with it. I think he's part of another group and he got split off. He's doing his best to survive. Any chance he gets that he sees, he's going to try to, to get back to that original group that he's with. I really think something's going on with him. Well, I think but, was- but he's, you know, at the same time, he's forming relationships with these people. You know, uh, Lori says, let me out of the truck. You know, you either let us turn around now or you let us out. And T-Dog's like, oh, I can't just, you know, my conscience is getting the better, the best of me. I can't just let these girls leave and, and walk away, you know. So he's, I think he's torn between allegiances with who he was really with and this new family he has. Well, I, I think if they did that, it would actually make him a much more interesting character. And I'd much rather see them see them do that with him than just kind of leave him on the wayside and just have him as kind of this, you know, half character that they've, you know, made him into. So the fact that, you know, they would do something where he could be more prominent, I'm, I'm all for it. Even yeah, if, it, I, if it means making him a quote unquote bad guy. Right. Amen. I totally agree. I mean, he's, he's too good of an actor to, to leave just sitting out there blown in the wind. And, you know, at this point, honestly, if he had died last night, I don't know that I would miss him right now. So I'm glad he's around. I think we're going to get a little bit more development out of him. I think, you know, if we do find out, if he does turn out to be a bad guy and we, you know, he's more involved next season and then we see his betrayal, it's really going to hit us. You know, whereas if he had died last night, it would have been, oh, well, bye, Jimmy, bye, T-Dog, whatever. If it turns out he is allied with the governor or whatever, I mean, that'd be something to go back on the DVD. It'd be like, aha, you know, they're foreshadowing themselves here. They, you know, they were telling, they were telegraphing what was going to happen later on, you know, by throwing that line in there. Like you say, there aren't really any throwaway lines, so to speak. Right. So Rick, Herschel, and Carl get back to the highway where they left the message for Sophia. They get there first and they're kind of hanging out, uh, dodging zombies as best they can, being as quiet as they can. Uh, Carl wants to go get his mom. Herschel tells Rick, you need to be there for your son. You know, you don't know that your wife's alive, but you have one priority in your life now, and that is that boy and keeping him alive. Kind of a re- reminded me a bit of the movie The Road um, in, yeah. in spirit, at least not in content yeah. for sure, because that's much, much darker and bleaker. Um, and then right when they're kind of thinking, well, maybe it is time for us. Nobody else is coming. Maybe it's time to go. That's when the convoy of all the other cars comes in and the group, Sans Andrea and Jimmy and Patricia are reunited and uh, they, they head off on the road. This was, is that great scene where before the, the rest of the group shows up, Rick and, and uh, Herschel are talking and uh, Herschel says, I can't pretend to know God's plan, you know, but he, but he promised a resurrection. I kind of thought a resurrection of the dead. I thought he had something a little different in mind. I thought that was one of the most brilliant lines yeah. I have heard in TV in a very long time. Yeah. This was at the point where I really didn't know how it was going to go. I could have easily seen the season ending with the group separated. Um, and I mean, obviously we saw Andrea separated, but I, I easily could have saw, seen that they either split into two or three groups and then that would, you know, maybe be a, you know, big plot point for season three or at least part of it is, is them kind of getting back together and it would, 
you know, kind of like we talked about earlier, that they would take certain episodes and use it to spotlight characters instead of having this ensemble across the whole episode. And, you know, everybody kind of gets short shrifted. So, um, I, you know, that's one of the things I've, I think they've done pretty well recently in the, in this show is, um, keep you guessing, you know, what, what, once they're willing to kind of throw it off, it's, it, it makes you wonder if anything, you know, everything's on the table. And after what happens in the farm, they all have that crisis of conscience. They're like, you know, um, you know, T Dog wants to go east and he wants to break up from the group. You know, Glenn and, uh, um, and Maggie, you know, they have their moment where they're like, well, why don't we just get away from them? You know, they all have the same, you know, crisis of conscience as whether they're going to stay together as a group or not. And yet they all end up at the same place. They all end up where they, uh, left, you know, supplies for Sophia. So at this point in the episode, we leave the main group and we find out what Andrea has been up to since she was abandoned. And, uh, she is running through the woods, uh, for her life with the sheriff's bag from all the way back in the pilot strung over her shoulder. She's got a handgun. She's picking off as many zombies as she can, but she's running and running, uh, for pretty much an entire day in both real life as they shot it, as we heard on Talking Dead. And in the actual episode, she is just running for her life all night. And, uh, she gets to the point, she checks for bullets, she only has a couple left, she takes out one zombie by uh, smashing its head in. First she knocks it against a tree, then she smashes its head in with the butt of the gun, and then uh, she's just about taken by out by another, the zombie is right on top of her, and then in the moment that only made, almost made me crap my pants as I watched the episode, a sword comes out of nowhere and slices the zombie's head off, and we see a hooded woman with a katana in her hand and two chains leading off to two uh, armless, jawless, although you couldn't really tell if they were jawless in the episode, but I'm pretty sure they were uh, zombies behind her. And this is in our, our introduction to the character we have been long, a long time waiting to see, Michonne. Uh, we're not going to spoil too much, except to tell you that, at least in the comics, she was a lawyer, just like Andrea, before the zompocalypse. Um, the zombies behind her are important. They're not just for show. They're not just to be, oh, isn't that cool looking? There's actually a reason that she has that. And, uh, did I mention she's awesome? Because uh, she's awesome. I think the word you're looking for is completely badass. Yeah, that would work too. Um, this scene actually happens a little later, and I know we're not going chronologically, but um, we did skip a part where the, the group decides to stay and hunker down and camp out for the night. But I thought that happened so, after this. I wasn't 100% sure. No. but um, And like I said, it doesn't matter. We can talk about it out of order. But okay, so let's talk about Michonne. Now, last week, John and I had had said that he and I were privy to some of the spoilers for this, uh, finale. And, um, Oh, that reminds me of another, another talking point. Uh, did anybody notice, let's get back to the Michonne thing in a second. Did anybody notice at the beginning of this, you know how you, you watching the show and you see in the lower right hand corner, the little AM, AMC bug. Yeah. 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 Okay. In the left hand corner, sometimes they'll put up another advertisement for either you are watching whatever show it happens to be at the time or a little advertisement for another show on the network. Somebody somewhere screwed up and put uh, Walking Dead premiere instead of season finale. It said premiere. <laughs> oh, actually, I think that's the thing AMC does when it's the first run of an episode. When it's the first, it's the episode premiere, in other words. That oh, might okay. not have been a screw up because they, they, they run them several times during the night, that same right. episode. So I think it's the first time they put it's a new episode there. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense, too. Okay, so never mind. Back to Michonne. Uh John and I had read the spoilers about this, so I knew what was going to happen, you know, and there's no way for John and me to know whether the spoilers are accurate, but so far up to this point, everything had happened the way it had happened in the spoilers. Even though I knew what was about to happen, when Michonne stepped out and, 
and did that. And then we see that picture of her with the two zombies. I literally stood up, my hands up in the air like the touchdown signal and yelled at the top of my voice with excitement and cheer. It was just so cool. Goosebumps. You know, I, I never expected to, to have that kind of reaction when I knew something was coming. But, oh, my gosh. I've been I waiting. immediately rewound and watched it again. Like, oh, that's yeah. how impressed Heck I yeah. was. I, uh, it, it's kind of funny because I, I can't remember which episode it was, but it was somewhere early in the season or maybe it was before the season started. We kind of did predictions or whatever. And one of the things I said was I thought the last scene of this of this season was going to be a character walking up, you know, with the, you know, kind of hooded and the sword and it was going to be Michonne. Um, so I wasn't too far off. So it's funny. As soon as I saw the, you know, Andrea on the ground, the zombie coming at her. And I was like, there's surely there's no way that they have drugged this out of her running through the forest, you know, killing off all these zombies for her to just, you know, kind of fall down and, and get eaten. You know, it's just like, it's like, why, why go through, why go through all that? As soon as I saw that sword slice, I was like effing Michonne. And sure enough, they, <laughs> they, they, I said it out literally out loud. And, uh, and sure enough, they cut over and you see this, this, you know, hooded figure dragging the two zombies on the chains. And I was, I, I kind of had a similar reaction. As, Who, as who's dressed was, identically to how she is in the comic yeah, when she's first yeah. introduced, which was so nice. And, yeah, and I, was, I, I, once they showed her and it wasn't clear as to who she was, I was like, Oh, they're, they're not going to show her actual face, you know, that they, you know, obviously because they haven't casted her. But I also thought brilliant job on the part of the producers because they, they put out their, okay, we're, you know, we're casting the governor. This is, you know, who it's going to be. Um, you know, um, David Morrissey's going to be the governor season three. So everybody, you know, they didn't say anything about the prison. So everybody was all abuzz about the governor. And I think for the most part, everybody just kind of forgot about Michonne. I think they thought, okay, well, we're getting the governor in season three, so that that's our deal. So the fact that they were able to to kind of sneak this in, I mean, obviously spoilers out there, but just in general, sneak this in kind of a little bit under the radar, I thought was really, really awesome. It, it was an excellent bit of subterfuge. We were talking about this before we started recording, and uh, I had actually been thinking the same thing for about the last week, and I should have said it last episode. But yeah, the simple fact that they kept hyping, they, they'd said way back in the beginning of the season, Michonne season three, Michonne season three, yet the sheer fact that they hadn't mentioned anything about her for months and that, you know, this is no spoilers at all, but you can't really have the governor story without her being there. She's a very important part of that story. Um, just made me think, man, it's really suspect that they haven't talked any casting for her. And that says to me, she's already been cast and she'll probably show up again as a stand in. This probably was a stand in. We don't know for sure, but. This actually leads right into our, our, our final news story, which we didn't mention before. Um, they have cast Michonne. It's going to be the actress uh, Denai Guerra, I believe is how you pronounce it. Denai Guerra. And she was on uh, the show Treme and also a, sh- a movie called is it, – was it The Visitors? I'm blanking on that now. But um, Didn't they announce on The Talking Dead that it was a stand-in or is that something I saw on Twitter today? I think Chris Hardwick said he thought it was a stand-in. But then they, they gave the, the casting. So it very well could have been a stand-in or it could have been her. I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure it was a stand-in given that they shot this months ago. And if, if it was really her when they did the extreme close-up, you'd have, I would imagine if it was really her, they would have just gone in and shown her face. But, but, you know. Well, you could see a little bit of her mouth last night. Well, for kind of a different take on it, I watched this with my wife. Now I've read all the comics and she hasn't read any. And, uh, that, that scene came up and I'm like, Oh crap, it's Michonne. That's so awesome. And she's like, well, what's so awesome about Michonne? 
You know, I mean, she was interested, but I mean, I think, you know, I mean, all of us have read the comics, so we know the character Michonne and why we're all excited about, you know, her being part of the storyline. But I'm wondering how, how well that played with people who aren't familiar with the comic, who only watch the show, they see this mysterious figure. I mean, it's a nice, you know, like mystery to tease into the next season, but I wonder if they're as excited about seeing things like that and what we're going to talk about at the very end of the episode, I, you know, as we are, because we know these things from the comic. Well, I watched, I, I, I watched this episode with my mother. I like to watch it with her because she kind of likes, you know, some of the same stuff I do. And, uh, so it's a treat to watch it with her because she, I can hear her comments and stuff like that. And when when Michonne showed up, she goes, "Ooh, who is that?" It's the sword factor, the sword yeah. and the zombies. I mean, yeah. That's... My wife was interested enough that she ended up looking up Michonne on Wikipedia, even though she hasn't read the comics, just to find out more about her. You know, I I think it's a brilliant marketing move because, and and I think it was just like an Easter egg. It's like you know, why is Cap Shield in Iron Man, or you know, why? You know, why do they do little things like they do, you know, show the, the, the minute and a half sequence or the 30 second sequence at the end after the credits? I think that's totally geared towards us, you know, to, towards us, you know, comic geeks. But on the other fold, it gets everybody talking. You know, it's like, who is that? Who is that? So people, you know, during, during the off season, it, it helps build that hype. I mean, and again, this is a show that just like the comic and we've said it before, it's such an anomaly. It's actually increasing its viewership over time instead of decreasing it. Well, um, you know, the same thing happened to the Walking Dead trades. You know, it, and the, I guess the comic itself, it got more and more readers as time goes on. It continues to, to climb. Yeah. Every month yeah. It, 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 it typically gains more and more, you know, sells more and more issues as opposed to every other comic on the face of the earth, which, you know, year over year, you know, absolutely declines. Um, the trend is definitely downward on every on almost every comic except The Walking Dead. If anybody wants to see the cover of the comic for the first appearance of Michonne, which I believe was Walking Dead issue 19? Sounds right. Um, I have the cover up in the Facebook group. It's definitely 19. I'm looking at it right now. Cool. And I also have a page from the issue where you can kind of get the comic comparison of her first appearance. Uh, which I think they purposely did very close in the TV show. They they kept it pretty tight. Hey, uh, Jordan, look right above on the Facebook page. Look right above Johnny's post, and you can see a post from Richard Sheldon, our friend. Yes, he's I got saw a, that. He's got a picture of a bunch of red-shirted uh, Star Trek characters, and the, the caption is The Walking Dead. Yeah, it's very awesome. Yeah, it's funny. And I, I lied before when I said that was our last news story, because we actually have one more regarding Michonne. John, do you want to tell us about that one? Because I think you first posted it. Yes, Jordan, the origin of the comic version of Michonne will appear in the next issue of Playboy magazine, strangely enough. Uh, there was some kind of deal struck where there's going to be a six-page origin story for Michonne in the next edition of Playboy, which, Brad, I think you said is coming out on Friday? Yeah, I think that's what I read. Is that, is that oh, like you don't know off the top that, of your head. Is that when it typically comes in the mail? <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't get it in the mail. <laughs> he reads it for no, the if, article. If you listen to uh, Half Hour Wasted episode two sixty one, we we talk all about that, and uh, you'll learn from that episode that I haven't bought a Playboy in twenty years. You know, it's an interesting move. I mean, there's reasons why I hate it. I mean, I would love it to be a one shot comic book or a four issue comic book series explaining the whole thing rather than a, a six-page story in Playboy magazine. 
but I totally get it. I mean, the circulation of Playboy right now, after some research I found out, is about like 1.5 million right now. Um, I don't know what Walking Dead comic issues are selling right now. Probably what, 40,000? Yeah, it's like 35, 36,000 ish. Right. So it's a smart move, no doubt, to get more exposure. And a lot more adults are now in tune to what The Walking Dead actually is. But, I mean, as the comic geek, don't we want that story in comics? I mean, <laughs> I think we'll get it there. I think, I think they'll either shoehorn this in in the next trade or. Or somewhere, I, th- I think. Well, I just I mean, in gen- not only do I mean, you know, having it in a comic book form. I just mean like six pages for the origin of Michonne. You know, it seems like it could be its own trade or its own arc. You know what I mean? It- yeah. I I wonder if this is like the Wolverine effect. You know, one of the reasons that they did Wolverine Origin um, back in the in the day was with the X Men movie coming out, they were afraid that. Um, the X-Men, you know, they were going to tell Wolverine's origin in the movie and there was no comic equivalent and they wanted to get it down in the comic to have their own thing. And kind of like, you know, the, the marriage of Superman, you know, when they had Lois and Clark the TV show, all that kind of stuff. I wonder if knowing that this was coming up in the show, that they wanted to be able to um, get this out there their way as far as the comic universe goes before they did it in the TV the way they were, they were going to do it. I don't know if that has anything... To do that kind of, I mean, kind of like if you think about it, they're, you know, the rise of the governor novel. I mean, that, that's not in the comic either. He chose to write a book. Um, and then, you know, voila, we're going to see him in the, uh, in the TV show next season. So I would think she would have more backstory than that, to be honest. I mean, we've gotten a lot of her backstory through conversation. Right. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of gaps to fill in. Well, that's true. I just, I would think, like John said, it would be a mini series worth of stuff at least, you know, not just six. Pages, yeah. yeah, and we should add that there, there's no um, mention that this will be the origin of the TV version of Michonne. It could completely be different. They might not tell it yet. Um, we don't know. But this is the comic Michonne, same character, but it could be a totally different story of we, as we've seen the TV show go off on its own sort of branch. Although after this episode, I think it's it's come a little closer to to the comic. You know, maybe more maybe closer to the comic than it's been in a long time. Right. Well, if we remember the New York Comic-Con panel, I think before season one, you know, the the old story was, we're going to get you from point A to B to C to D, meaning the important points of the comic book series, but we may just take roundabout ways to get there. Right. Speaking of New York Comic-Con, I know, Brad, you said you watched Talking Dead. Did anybody else watch Talking Dead? I did. Was that the same exact coat she was wearing at that Lori Holden was wearing at Comic Con? Only a like a leather version as opposed to the jean version she was wearing there. Um, it was definitely a leather um, coat, but it had like the zippers in the same place. It was a very very similar jacket. Yeah, she just looked the same. You know, I guess she really you know, maybe, did. Yeah, really? I mean, like her, her what a weird question. <laughs> yeah, are you guys actually spending time talking about this, dude? She's hot. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I agreed, but. Who gives a crap what she was wearing last night? Let's it's move like on they with put the her in a cryogenic freezing after Comic-Con and only brought her out for this episode. She looked exactly the same. So the next uh, <laughs> bit we should probably mention is uh, what happens right before Michonne shows up. It's the scene where the three uh, Rick's running out of gas and he honks and the three vehicles stop and they have a powwow and Rick says, let's camp right over here. 
and they're they're parked in front. That looked like a dam, right? Like an well, old, old school stone dam. Yeah, something we we see later as the you know at the very last shot as the camera pans up, um, it is like on the that it's a stone wall on the edge of a, a reservoir or something, and the water's pouring over it. So yeah, it's it's right up against some kind of body of, of water, like a small pond maybe. Right. And uh, this is where I mean a whole lot of stuff happens here. You have a lot of little character moments, um, but eventually Rick and Lori go off, and he tells her what he had to do to Shane. And you can just see, I mean, A, first off, it was greatly acted scene by Rick and the acting all throughout the episode from him was very good. But there was, you could see in the background as Lori is realizing that everything he's telling her is her fault. And she, she kind of takes it out on him, but she freaks out just as she realizes, oh, when I told Rick to do something about Shane and when I apologize to Shane, all of this is my fault. That, that scene was, Okay, did we skip the part where he spills the beans on what Jenner says? I thought that was, I thought no, that, that was later. later. Okay, okay, thank you. I don't but know. I mean, Lori had just pretty much told him to do it that he had. It was either going to be Shane or him, and then he. I mean, he explains to her that you know that that Shane put him in a position where he had to kill him. He had no choice. Those are his words to to Lori. And instead of like supporting him and trying to to comfort him, she pulls away. Well, I, I thought it was another like. You know, reason to hate Lori, another dick move, you know? See, I, I think, I think everybody, and I, I, I see what you're saying because I've seen a lot of this stuff about, oh, I hate Lori, but I think people are misinterpreting her reactions. I think Jordan hit it on the head. She's not mad at Rick. She's freaking out at herself. She realizes that she's the catalyst for this whole situation. And yeah, I didn't take that. At, I didn't see that at all. Yeah. I, not I, even a bit. I don't think she's angry at Rick at all. I think she's, a completely freaked out at the situation and B she realizes that she had some involvement with it. And that, that freaks her out even more. And she just doesn't know how to cope. Yeah. She certainly takes it out on Rick, but plus when she finds out her son had to put down, you know, a former father figure slash zombie, that's obviously hard to deal with. That's a great way to, to describe shame, by the way, former father figure slash zombie. I love that. She's freaking out, and I think everybody who isn't is interpreting it to be her being angry at Rick or whatever, I think is really missing the mark with this scene. I, I couldn't, I I couldn't disagree more. I and the, this you couldn't a, be more wrong then. Probably right. Um, yeah, you're an idiot. Move, I have to agree with Brad. Um, <laughs> you're a dummy. I really, this is a part of the part of the episode where I really had a problem with the writing, and I really wanted to throw my shoe through the TV because I was so. I just really thought. It it didn't ring true at all because and the and the reason I say that is if you look at how she reacts to what Rick is telling her and you look at the way she looks at him and the way she the, to me that was all directed at him that was not like oh my god I can't believe what I've done because she didn't you know put her hand to her mouth or she didn't you know kind of look away or she, she she was just that look on her face was just fierce and she was mad and rick tried. i am to go totally to with you on this russ i'm yeah. totally she, behind you with this she, you guys need to rewatch that scene again because i maybe, think you may, i, I think you're so, very but, off but i i mean and i kept looking at it and kept looking at it and even later in the episode when he tells the rest of the group she's still you know is throwing daggers at him and i was like I, this doesn't make any sense to me at all like i don't i don't understand writing wise what they're doing because you know she sets all this in motion, and then she has that conversation with Shane, but yet she still sees that he's unhinged even when she tries to apologize. And then, you know, Rick basically says, you know, he came at me. He did. I, 
I, you know, explain that way that somebody, you know, he, he, Rick goes out of his way to say how it, this isn't Lori putting this in motion. What happened? This is, this is him. Well, I guess it is in a way because, because of the conversation she had with, with Shane, but you know, this isn't a direct reaction to Lori's conversation with Rick. This is, you know, Shane led him out there and he, he explained to her, I tried to give him a, a way out. I tried to get him not to do it. He just kept on and kept on. And he, he got me to the point where I had to do it. And like I said, I don't even think this isn't even a Lori hate thing. This is just like a, I, I just had a real problem with the writing on, on that scene. I just, I mean, if, if the rest of the, 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 the episode wasn't so awesome, like if this would have happened in the middle of the season, this episode would have been like a one for me. I just was really, it just really, really just, just torqued me the wrong way. See, that's the way I read the scene too, Ross. I, it just seemed like she seemed kind of horrified by, by what Rick had done and, and just like pulling away from him. And then later when they're, you know, by the fire and Rick has to lay down the laws to the new Ricktocracy, um, I mean, her and Carol both almost seem kind of petulant, you know, considering, you know, he just saved everyone's life, got everyone back together. You know what I mean? It just seemed, it just seemed kind of yeah. out of nowhere and out of place. And I understand exactly what you're saying. You're going to have to define the word petulant for me because I don't know what that means. Just kind of petty and not seeing the big picture. You know what I mean? Like having, having a lot of criticism, you know, when, when, okay. you know, they're trying to make the best of the situation they're in. Does okay. Well, Carol looking at it from y'all's folks were bad tempered. Looking at it from y'all's point of view, do you think part of Lori's reaction was her possibly being afraid of this, of her husband, you know, um, the, and this new part of his personality where he's, where he's willing to kill? Whereas, you know, he's been a policeman his whole life. He would only take a life if he really needed to. But now he's being preemptive in his in his killing of human beings. I and mean, is this freaking her out as well? I don't know. Well, it could be. But I took it as this was she was directly this mad at him because he killed Shane specifically. Not like I think if this would have been anybody else. Um, well, maybe not necessarily anybody else. But if this was, you know, the, if this was um, Randall or somebody else they came across, I don't think. It, she she would have been this upset. I think even if it was somebody else in the group, for the most part, T dog, um, and, and yeah, or or Daryl, or you know who, whoever, um, Jimmy. You know if he had if 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 she if he explained it the way he did, I think she would be behind him. Um, but I think it was because it was Shane specifically. Um, like I said, I'll go back and rewatch it. But man, I I really paid a. I, I mean, I was pretty fixated on her specific body language. And I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't get that at all. I'll watch it again. And I wanted to comment on the mechanics of this scene, this long it was, speech. It was um, awesome. It was, it was a solid two and a half minute uninterrupted shot. And, and, and she, and the, and she does ang- put her, she does put her hand to her mouth. I just saw her do that by the way, There's but she- um, it's, it's a solid uninterrupted one take of, of Andrew Lincoln uh, doing this and some fine acting on his part and, and Sarah Callie's behind just, you know, reacting with, with, uh, facial expressions and stuff. But that, that's hard to do. It's hard to go two and a half minutes, you know, for one scene like that. And, and I love the angle he chose. He chose it to where Rick is facing the camera and we're looking back and Lori is kind of facing the back of his head. Like he, he didn't face Lori to say this. He look, he looked away. And the, and the way they positioned the camera and shot that scene, I agree. It, it was, I mean, as, as big of a problem I had with it from a writing perspective, um, I thought Andrew Lincoln's part was, was just phenomenal. I mean, just incredible. Um, and, and the way the, sh- the shot was constructed, I was very, very pleased with. 
So after the scene, uh, they head back to the group. And I guess the, the next scene actually takes back place a little bit later because it was light in that scene in the dark when they're back at the camp. It's starting to get nighttime. And, uh, Jordan. Yeah. And this is where the actual Michonne scene takes place right after this conversation between the uh, Rick and Lori. Okay. So they, they use that to bridge the, the, yeah. Time. She walks off and then we see Michonne. And then it cuts back to camp at night where everybody's sitting around beside the dying fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly, which where we get the the episode. So even before this this scene, there's a bunch of important discussions here. So I'm getting a bit mixed up. But before before that, there was uh, the the re- the revelation, the discussion. Rick tells everybody what Jenner told me is that we're all infected. In other words, you die, you become a zombie. We talked about it last week. So when you, we don't need to get into the specifics there. But just like we said, well, why wouldn't he tell them? That's what the group wants to know. Why in the world wouldn't you tell us? And he gives the best answer he could. I didn't think that it was the time to do it. I didn't want to freak you out. Maybe I made the wrong call, but it was my decision. What do you guys think? You think it was wise to it, hold this from the group? No. It does. It doesn't change anything. What it? That's what I. I mean, and that's another part I had with the writing. It was like you're having these people all react poorly to this, and it's like, what does it change? It changes nothing. Well, I would have even said that. To it. Rick even said that. He said, you know, what difference would it have made if I if if you had already known this, you know, and I think they're just pissed that that somebody's holding withholding information. You know, I don't think that they're mad that, oh, gosh, I wish I had known for the last, you know, five weeks that I was infected. But I just think they're mad that this guy they have been looking up to to protect them has withheld something that's fairly important. Right. Like, what else are you not telling us? Exactly. Yeah, I guess I just it just seemed like they were a little peeved about this specific piece of information and i was just like what difference does it make if, you, if you're dead and you come back as a zombie or you're dead and you're dead you're not going to know it one way or the other but if so your what- companion dies and you don't know if they're going to come back and the next thing you know they've got their jaws wrapped around your neck you're going to be pretty pissed that you were never told that this could yeah. happen yeah i, I mean i i would be with that group saying uh excuse me you never told us that well, i have listen, a problem. you know rick rick didn't know if what Jenner said was true or not until last That's a episode. Good point. That's a very Yeah, good he point. was a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, he, he you know, he blew up the whole facility cuz you know, he didn't want to deal with it anymore. So he's he wasn't exactly, you know, you know, all his fries and his happy meal. I was right. watching Twitter a little bit at this point and when this revelation was show. when this revelation was given, I'm going to say roughly 1500 of our 2000 plus Twitter followers said, "I called it." <laughs> So, uh, yeah, well, everyone learned, knew it. Everyone you know, called once, it. Yeah, once we learned that Lori was pregnant, that obviously was not what the big secret that Jenner had. So it had to be something along these lines. Yeah. Now, Jordan, we cut back to them sitting next to the fire. Yes, and at this point, I mean, Glenn and Maggie want to go out and get supplies, and Rick is telling them, no, you need to stay here. Um, we're not getting split up again. We just got split up. We're not doing this again. We're staying together as a group. And uh, there's a noise out in the distance, a cracking branch or something like that. And uh, th- they want to go out and investigate. And he says, no, you are staying here. You, you know, we are, we're staying together as a group. And, you know, he, and th- I thought the speech was absolutely great. He, I think the actual kind of anger from his part starts with, I, and they don't, keep in mind, they don't know that he killed Shane yet. He goes, I killed my best friend for you people. You know, he, I have sacrificed everything. I have done this, I've done that, I've done the other. I'm the only reason, basically, that you people are still alive. If you don't want to deal with it, that's fine. You want to go out into the woods? Do that. But if you want to stay here with this group 
it is not a democracy anymore. And this is what the people behind the show, a lot of the reviewers, and I think we'll probably see what the two have been calling the dictatorship. As far as he's concerned from now on, they are doing things his way and his way alone. They don't like it. They can leave. Don't let the door hit him on the way out. I just wanted to make a quick note as Bavira as the performance was from uh, John Bernthal last week. Uh, you know, Andrew Lincoln really nailed the speech. This one and the other one that you referred to with Laurie. I mean, he is really acting uh, at a really high level here. He did, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, there is certainly. And there's a couple of good bits of dialogue here. One of which is Andrew Lincoln's when he's like, go ahead. There's a door. Send me a postcard. Yeah. I just love that line. I thought that was really, really well done. And then there's a little bit of conversation. Before Rick explodes between Carol and Daryl, and uh, she he says, you know, what do you want? And she says, I want a man with honor. And and Daryl's like, Rick has honor. And I thought that was neat, you know, seeing Daryl uh, stick up for Rick. And even earlier in the episode, when when the rest of the the group comes together on the highway, when they meet back where they left that stuff for Sophia, you know, Rick and D- Rick and Daryl kind of have like a, a good to see a handshake uh, when when he drives up. So. Well, it's, he, it's, he even he even tells Carol, you know, Rick's done all right by me. Right, exactly. So, um, it, I, I really, you know, and we've talked about Daryl's character, how sometimes it's really awesome, sometimes it's not. You know, sorry about the noise. Probably because of the writing and stuff, but you know, his character was back to the the cool Daryl that that I think we all like so much in this episode. Going back to that scene on the highway, I love that shot they ended it on when everybody drove off, where it just panned over to the. Now almost completely gone, but just the paint's running of Sophia, you know, stay here, we love you, or whatever, whatever the sign on the car said. It was right. a nice little reminder of, of how far they've come, all the things they've done in the, in the season, and that uh, that little bit of hope that they had left there of, oh, she'll come right back here. That hope is just out the window at this point. You think they'll make a highway walker action figure complete with Argyle sweater? <laughs> the preppy zombie, <laughs> as they called it, or preppy walker? I thought that was pretty funny. Again, some good stuff from uh, Herschel's character here. Also, yeah, he sticks up for Rick too. Yeah, and Maggie's Maggie's like, I think we need to leave. He's like, Don't be foolish. This is that that shot where where uh, T Dog's standing up on the on the stone fencing or whatever that is, and every once in a while during Rick's speech, he's T Dog's. There's something going on here. T Dog's got this look on his face like he's just hiding something, or he's the the wheels are turning, and uh, some really good stuff from Irony e. Singleton. And, and somewhere in this area, it was a little bit before the whole. Uh, send me a postcard discussion. He mentions that, you know, we thought we were safe or they, the whole group has a discussion, but we thought we were safe at the farm. It didn't work. We still need to find a place where we can hunker down, where we can be safe. We can fortify. We need to find, I think they even use the word stronghold. They need to find something where they don't just think they're safe, but they can be sure that they're safe. And this leads us to the last shot of the episode where they pull up, they zoom out, uh, kind of reminiscent of the end of the pilot, actually, but not, not exactly the same. Just in, they pull out from the group. And then the camera goes over that dam, over that lake, pulls out a little bit more, and we see off in the distance, the prison. And we won't get into spoilers of what happens at the prison, but we can definitely say that it is a major set piece in the comics, much bigger than the, well, it figuratively and literally much bigger than the farm. It's something we've been waiting for them to get to. A lot of story happens here, and uh, we don't know it will happen the same way, but Kirkman has confirmed you'll be seeing a lot of that prison in Season 3. I want to ask, so... They must have driven a long way away from the farm, right? To to end up being this close to the prison and not even ever know the prison was out here. I would guess probably a couple hours. Yeah, I mean, or they didn't. I mean, I mean, granted, I've read the book, so I know. Hey, prison might be a good place to hole up. But I think in general, 
there, there are prisons in my area, but if I was thinking what's a safe place to hole up in a zompocalypse, prison's probably not the first place I think of as safe. So even if like Herschel and the Green family know it's there, I could very easily see it slipping their minds in terms of, hey, we should go here or, hey, Rick and your group when before when they were trying to get them off the farm, maybe you should go over there. It just it's a place that's very easy to overlook in terms of, hey, that might be a good idea. This is kind of like the introduction of, Mich- of Michonne for me. I'm wondering how much that shot of the prison is going to have meaning for someone who doesn't know the comics as well as we do, someone who only watches the show. You know, it would just be, you know, be this ominous building off in the background. Well, yeah, I mean, um, like you said, ominous. Ominous is a very good word, but and yeah. coupled with Rick's use of the word, and I think he used the word stronghold. Yeah. Um, yeah coupled he, with that, it sends it was a good message. Yeah, it was de- very definite uh uh intentional yeah definitely intentional part of conversation when he says we need to find a place to hunker down to fortify and then they show this i mean that they're obviously making that connection (laughs) i I mentioned that i watched this with my mom after the the shot of the prison and then it cuts to black you know how it always goes to next week on walking dead or whatever that thing came up and you know obviously didn't say it this time but she goes (gasps) is that it I said, what do you mean? Is that it? She goes, I want more. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Oh, and by the way, my 17-year-old daughter has recently, I don't think I mentioned this on the show yet. I think you said she had watched like five minutes of the pilot and stopped because it was late at night or something. Yeah. Well, just uh, tonight, she's watching episodes uh, 11 and 12 and possibly the season finale of season two. And every once in a while, I get a text from her Well, she'll, she'll say something like, OMG, uh, holy crap, or goodbye, Dale was one of them. And then she goes, she said something like, every once in a while, in all caps, she said, this show makes me want to punch them through the TV. And I was like, why? And she said, because they do like some of the stupidest things ever every once in a while. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, it's, but the point is she's loving it as, as, uh, as she's watching it. So awesome. Another convert. Yeah. We want to rate this one? Six. Busters. <laughs> now I, you broke. I, you wait a minute. You just broke the Buster scale. I did. I broke the scale. Now I want to point something out, and I'm. That's my rating. Six Busters. This has been the best episode of the show to date. This episode and the last two have been spot on. Three good episodes does not a wonderful season of television make. Okay, this season, generally speaking, gets a lower average rating than season. One and and I realize that's kind of wonky. Six episodes versus twelve or thirteen, but this this season has not been fantastic for me until the last three episodes. This I don't think you know. I was about to say I don't think this show can afford to do that again next season, but people are going to watch it anyway. I'm you know I'm case in point, but I really think it would be a mistake to have the same feel for next season that this season did. It just, you know, I'm trying not to be real negative, but I'm also just trying to be honest. I just think it would be a mistake to not try to radically shift the tone of the, of next season, uh, away from what the first half of this, well, the first two thirds of this season two was. It really needs to be balls to the wall from, from the get go of season three on out to really drive home the, the, the possibility, the, 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 um, potentiality for a just kick butt tv show and I, I don't think this season was kick butt the last three episodes were six busters for this particular episode blew I mean, my mind 
you know, I think Kirkman and Mazzara obviously have, um, you know, some impartiality, but basically they said, if you liked what we're doing with the last three, you know, to four episodes of this season, that's pretty much what it's going to be from here on out. And, you know, especially going into season three that, you know, they kind of admitted, you know, kind of mea culpa that things were a little slow to get started, but we're, you know, we kind of finally got everybody to where we wanted them to be. And this is, you know, this is the, the kind of how it's going to be moving forward. So, well, you we'll, know, we'll see if that plays out. They've said stuff like Glenn has said stuff like that before. With, sure. At the mid season, he's like, you know, from, from episode eight till the end, it's just going to be insane. And it wasn't, there was insane moments, but it wasn't a complete constant feeling of insanity. Like this last episode was. Yeah, that's and what I said. The potential, the potential for this show to do that is there. It can be done, and it needs to happen more often for this show to be uh, an amazing television show. This was an amazing episode of television. It was not an amazing season. I, I would say even those episodes in the second half of the season before these last three, though, were – and I would actually say four because I would include 18 Miles Out as being right up there at the top for sure um, – but I think even the ones before that, Trigger Finger and Nebraska, I think they were still better for the most part than the first half of the season. Like I it was agree. still, it was a trend upwards. You know what I mean? It was. I would agree, but maybe not to the extent. You know, I, I wouldn't give them. I wouldn't elevate them as much as you do. But they were elevated. It seems Jim. like Mazzara and uh, Kirkman are, are trying to find a good pace, and I think. If, you know, they've said that these few episodes, these three or four episodes, not agree with Jordan, 18 miles out was a pretty intense one, too. I mean, Shane dropped a motorcycle on Rick, for God's sake. You know, <laughs> you know, I just, um, I think they finally found a good uh, pace to go to working together. And I think uh, I'm really looking forward to season three. But I understand what you mean, you mean Brad. It seemed to uh, spin its wheels quite a bit and take a long time to resolve things earlier on in the season. But. Uh, now, if, if things are going to go at this pace, this kind of clip, uh, I'm very uh, much looking forward to season three. Jonathan? I like this one a lot. I gave it a 4.75 busters. Um, I'd love for all the shows to be like this. I don't think they could do it. I don't think they could do balls out, millions of zombies every show. Um, I think I, they would get tiring if they did it this intense every episode, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I, I would like to see more balance in the episodes in general. Like, it seemed like we got all or nothing in terms of action um, in a lot of these shows, but I prefer this style over the talking and one zombie for the entire hour episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe there's a middle ground that they can find as they go, but I like this one a lot. I'm, I'm just not giving it a five because I'm saving my five for some magic episode one day. And, you know, I would say, you know, not to get spoilery, but we know there's this other group out there next season. If they come into contact in that, with that group in a big way, there's a way to have action without having to spend money on zombie special effects and that kind of stuff. You can have big, intense scenes and episodes without zombies, just with dealing with the other terrible people that are out there in this world. Right. You know, and since... You know, the prison is going to be a fixture next season. They're going to be able to shoot a lot, you know, on stages instead of being out on location. So I, I think, you know, that'll save money as well that way. Um, John just said something that made me, oh, I wanted to ask John, you know, we had talked about how the comic book, sometimes you get nothing but action, action, action in a comic book. And then one issue will be nothing but just characters talking. Why does that appear to work for the comic better than 
for this TV show? Why, why does it work better as a comic instead of a TV show, that formula? Because the comic's only 15 minutes to read versus well, 45 to watch, one, probably. And we get a new one every month. Yeah, but we get a new episode every week. Yeah, for, for, for 10 or 12 weeks, and then we get nothing. You know, I mean, we got eight ep- we got what, six episodes, then we had a break, then we get seven episodes, and then we get nothing for how many months? Six months now? Seven months? I, I think the beauty of reading is that you create the scene in your head, and the lines are delivered the way you want them to be. And when you're watching the dialogue on TV, and it's overacted, or something just isn't right, you hate Sarah Wayne Callies, etc., uh, it changes things. Whereas reading it, you can make it happen however you want it to happen. There's also something to, to be said for the communal experience. You know, we're not podcasting every month when The Walking Dead comic comes out. We don't sit down and at, uh, mic, you know, microanalyze every scene. We don't ma- microanalyze every panel and every line of dialogue. And there's also that idea of, you know, we all love The Walking Dead in, in terms of the comic. And we were the ones who said, you know, not just us specifically, but many people were saying, oh, this is going to be great. A zombie TV show, Walking Dead TV show. I can't wait. Tell all your friends. Tell them it's going to be great. And so you raise that level of expectation and you, you and I say you, but I mean we, we act as kind of ambassadors for the show and for the property. So when it doesn't live up to what we want it to be and what we've told people it can be and what we hope it's going to be, it reflects on us and, and we feel – you know, we, I don't want to say we feel responsible, but we feel the brunt of, man, I said that was going to be good and it wasn't. You know what I mean? We don't really have to do that for the comics so much, but for the show, we're put in that weird position where if it's not good, then what's wrong with us? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, it, and it's funny, you know, just not, not to spoil anything, but I guess to, to kind of help with your point, Brad, um, the last three out of four trades, I would say, have had mostly, mostly character moments, mo- you know, not, a whole lot of things going on. I think one of the one of the last four trades has really just been insanity and a lot of big, big, big things happening. And the other three um, have been just kind of maybe spinning its wheels a little bit. I think I think it's equivalent to like the low spots in the season. But but you know, again, we just you know, for me, I just keep reading because a I like to see you know them moving characters forward, even if it's a little slow. Um, and, and and knowing that the the big moments are going to be coming, I will give it five out of five. And I think I would be in in Mr. Milo's corner of six out of five if it wasn't for that conversation between if it wasn't for Lori's. Um, I hate to say the Rick and Lori conversation because I think I think there were a lot of really good good things in there. Um, and like I said, the way it was shot. But I think just the way that that story that portion was written from Lori's perspective just really just turned me off. Um, and I, I think it would have just, just completely put it over the top, but, but I, I, either way, I think a solid five out of five, the, you know, the beginning just kept me literally at the edge of my seat. Um, the tension was, was incredible. The chaos, um, was very well or- orchestrated if, if that makes sense. Um, and then the ending, you know, gave me, you know, pretty much everything I was hoping for. It ended in a really good spot. So, um, so solid five for five for me. I uh, wanted I wanted to give it a five of five as uh, well. I wanted to call out Ernest Dickerson, who's the director of this episode, uh, if I could, uh, for some really great shots. The uh, 
the shot of the zombies in silhouette in front of the burning barn. We talked about that big shot before. Uh, the driving around in the car shooting at a zombie. It was very much, a lot of the, uh, the perspectives were from the cars and inside the cars themselves. And like I said, the one shot where we see Andrea, you know, get buried by the big zombie or what have you. It just made it feel like Russ said very chaotic. Uh, uh, as you watched it, I thought the direction of this episode was very good. Um, I give it a five out of five. Again, it's just some episodes have felt more walking dead to me than others. I don't know if I, if that's a, you know, an I, a concept I can get across, but you know, it's something that either feels walking dead or doesn't to me, I guess. And this episode felt very walking dead to me. So, uh, five out of five busters for me, my friends. And, uh, I, I'm hoping that, that the second half of the season, is uh, for you know foreshadowing what we're going to see next season. And I will echo uh, Russ and Jim and say five out of five. I I put this one right up there with the pilot and with eighteen miles out. This was fantastic, start to end. You know, granted, those like everybody said, um, some I don't I don't even know that I'd call them bad writing or missteps. I just write them as these. Some of these characters are just plain unlikable, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for a show is all subjective. But I five out of five. Let me read. Uh our good buddy Aaron Newworth's thoughts. Uh, you can get his full review on hhwlod.com. Yep, it's but up here there now. His, he just posted it about an hour ago. Here's his uh, expurgated version. Dudes, here are my thoughts on this week's episode, the season finale, Beside the Dying Fire. I put together a pretty lengthy written review, which is as much about the season as a whole show, uh, which is as much about the season as a whole, as it is just about this episode, but here are some summarized points, some good, some critical, and some for fun. The episode literally brought the house down, but I did not find it to be perfect. Zombie carnage was certainly a plus, but I was still rolling my eyes a bit in regards to the setup. I get the concept of a herd and all that, but coincidences seem to run wild when it comes to Rick and the gang. There was a huge gap between Rick, Carl, and the walkers, but they managed to catch up pretty quickly when Rick and Carl needed to hide, but that did lead to a great scene in the barn, the Walker Barbecue, as he calls it. Lori is again parent of the year, hysterically wondering where her son went. So long to everyone's favorite characters, Patricia and Jimmy, we'll miss you. Herschel was great in this episode, becoming one of my favorite characters. I expected his number to be up, but he took out plenty of walkers and was ready to respect Rick's role as leader. He also found a sweet sports coat on the way to the highway, apparently. I'm right there with you. I think you just said Rick Roll. (laughs) (laughs) I did, actually. T-Dog's reveal that the coast was his idea from the start was hilarious, only because no one ever gave him a chance enough to talk about it to suggest it. Rick revealing Jenner's whisper, well, that was expected at this point, but I still don't care for him hiding it from everyone. But I also didn't like... Carol being such a real witch about it either. Her reactions to Rick throughout this episode were pretty grating. Lori, again, what the hell, man? Be consistent. You wanted Shane dead. He tried to rape you. You listened to your husband explain that he was going to murder him and steal the family, yet you are mortified by Rick's story of what actually happened. If it makes sense to someone, that's great, but this episode fails in properly justifying that reaction to me and to Jim and Russell as well. The rictatorship begins. Strong work by Andrew Lincoln. I just hope he doesn't become as unlikable as some of the other characters, or that season three puts him on a path for resolving his dual role as heroic leader and the rictator of the group. I really enjoyed everything involving Andrea, 
Her scenes were tense and led up to a great surprise for people, especially comic fans. Zombie Carnage, on the whole, was great this episode and throughout the season. I wouldn't say throughout the season, but it was great this episode. Kudos to Nicotero and his team. Maybe he's talking about the actual makeup job that Nicotero and his team did. I would agree with that. It's been really good, good work on their behalf throughout the season. Amen. This was a very well-shot episode and well-scored. Director Ernest Dickerson and composer Barry McCreary did some great work putting this one together from a cinematic standpoint. Four busters. I do like this show as a whole, which is why I'm quick to criticize. There is lots of potential, which I wish could be matched on a week-by-week basis. That said, it still certainly does a lot more right than wrong and is exceedingly well-made, regardless of budget and production woes. I do a better job explaining some points in the full written review, so please go there to see me justify my ramblings more. As always, happy to throw around some of my thoughts, keep it real, stay out of the swamp, and cheers to a great season three. Thank you very much, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate your input, as always. Uh, Two things his email made me want to talk about. One was the music, because I remember I had some issues with that last week. Uh, I did not have those same issues this week. I thought, I agree with him, the the score was just fantastic. It was... um, tense and actually worked in the theme at one point when it needed to be it was very heartfelt and moving when it needed to be it wasn't um mixed really loud like it was last week and i just thought it worked um but on the on the second note he mentioned or he asked whether we will still be able to find rick likable after this rectatorship turn and that made me think of something um i guess russian jim would be the guys to ask do you think we might be getting a little bit of a heisenberg with him and if so how awesome would that be Maybe. I definitely felt like there was um, a switch that went off. And, you know, funny enough, it almost kind of seemed a little uh, Shane-ish, you know, because he he almost seemed like he was kind of going to that side where he was losing it a little bit, but but then not. You know, he still kind of maintained control. So, yeah, we're definitely seeing a transformation, um, and, and I think for the good of, of Rick. So, uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that comparison plays out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, definitely the Rick at this, the end of this season is different than the Rick that we knew at the beginning. Um, he is the man who knocks. <laughs> yeah, for, for those of you listening and podcasting with us who don't know, uh, Heisenberg is from Breaking Bad. That's the best show on television you're not watching for the most of you listening, but, um, fantastic show, but that's beside the point. Um, the main character played by Brian Cranston, when he kind of makes that dark side turn from school teacher to drug kingpin, he becomes Heisenberg and Heisenberg is just this, I mean, really you're watching a show where the main character is the villain and but not, not, I mean, he's not the villain, but he's a very villainous character and a very dark character who has to do very dark things and very, very, very bad things to survive and keep his family safe. And that's a lot of what I think we're going to see from Rick. And, and that really excites me to, because I know how well they've been able to pull off Heisenberg. I'm looking at Glenn Mazar's Twitter feed right now. Um, he says, one of his tweets says, we are building a prison. And we built this prison on rock and roll. Season three starts shooting in May. And there was one other I wanted to point out. Um, shoot. Oh, Nicotero is currently writing more webisodes. I think we've spoken about that, but that's actually good to hear him say that. Poss- I, there's just a guess, but if we're getting a Michonne backstory in uh, the Playboy show that's coming out, maybe Michonne backstory webisodes? Would that be cool? Very. Yeah, that'd be neat. Yeah. 
And again, he tweets here, Season 3 is the same pace as the past few episodes. I'll believe it when I see it, Mr. Mazzara. Okay, so, anybody got anything else for this last episode of Season 2? No, I, I have some... I have some things, but I think I think they'll be better served with the season wrap up than than this specific episode. Yeah, and, and as do I. Now's a good time as any. We are going to be back before the end of the month. We may take a little bit of an extended week here. Um, we've worked hard this half season, <laughs> and and we all of our best two. friends for you people. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know we're going to do a season wrap up. We're going to catch up on your emails, your voicemails. We may take some calls. You know what? We have to. Make it a point next time we get together to uh, to take some phone calls. That'll be fun. And uh, we'll let you know what's coming up in the off season. We have a few cool things planned for that. And I guess that's about it for now. So, Jordan, do you have a clever ending for us one last time for Season 2? Well, let's not overhype it, but I have an ending. Uh, you can, of course, send us a voicemail, 516-468-7912, 516-468-7912, or le- leave us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Don't forget, check out our YouTube channel, Walking Dead TV Podcast. Check out our hhwlod.com for all of our great shows, Half Hour Wasted with Brad, Legion of Dudes with me, Russ, Jim, and uh, John. The PKD Black Box, out now with Aaron and Abe. Aaron, who sent in the, e- uh, the email before and has been keeping us up to date with his awesome reviews all season. Uh, keep an eye out for our less regular shows like Media Minutes and the newly formed Tech Dudes, also featuring Russ. And, of course, all those shows can be found on Facebook as well. Check out ForumForGeeks.com and follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. Can I throw so, in one thing before you finish up? Sure. For any fans of uh, Lost and the current Alcatraz TV show on Fox. All right, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Brad and I have been doing Podcatraz, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to check that out. And the only reason I'm bringing it up right now is uh, Brad and I are scheduled to have a very special guest for our next Podcatraz, uh, someone you might know by the name of Jorge Garcia. Nice. Who, uh, of course, was Hurley... On Lost, everybody's favorite character, Hurley, and uh, he is Dr. Soto on Alcatraz, and he'll be with us with Beth, his girlfriend and partner in their many podcasts like Geronimo Jack's Beard and the current uh, Diego Soul Patch, their Alcatraz podcast. So we're really looking forward to that, and uh, we invite anybody to check out podcatraz.com or uh, heads up on the feed if you'd be interested in hearing that. Very cool. So, until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, next time you get caught reading a Playboy, just tell them you're reading it for the zombies. And have a good week. Good night. <laughs> good night. I am the disco. Jordan, at your leisure. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode... Actually, I want to do that in a different way. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Yep. Can can you guys give me 90 seconds to run somewhere and then come back sure. without without discussing? I swear, it's only going to... Thank you. Be right back. 87. <laughs> now, are these Texas seconds or real seconds? Mm. He's got to go talk to a man about a horse. <laughs>
I think that would take longer than 90 seconds. Um, just side note, I'm going to cut this because I think we're probably giving away too much story from the future, um, in general, but, but I, I think you're, I think that's, that's a very good rebuttal to, to the idea Russ had. And I totally agreed with Russ until Brad said that. Yes. It's a very good point. You know, you could leave that section in and just bleep out most of the words and every once in a while put one word in that I say. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll just, I'll like just you, cut them up, rearrange them, make it be funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> be like the governor's beep, 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 beep. Motivation beep, 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 beep. Prison beep, 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 beep. Spoon. Just play it all backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that before for spoilers. Just reverse the audio. I'm sorry. I'm being distracted by all the the text. Bloop. Yeah, all the. Bloop, 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 bloop.